what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Welcome to the True Performance Show by Ziegler. Every positive pursuit in life, every progression of personal development, change is fueled by one thing, inspiration. It's the drive and the hunger that propels every good endeavor. Without it, we merely have a dream, but never actually move. With it, we can actually overcome insurmountable odds to achieve our desires, convictions, and calling. In this show, we come together to drill down into what really makes success tick and how we can apply it to our unique personal and work lives. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and right now we're going to inspire your true performance. This is episode 401 of the True Performance Show, which I titled No Hope, No Future. If that sounds trite, listen in to 11 minutes of Zig Ziglar, the world's grandfather of inspiration, as quoted by Seth Godin in our show with him. Um, one thing that we'll come to in this is some scriptural references, and it's interesting, we've had some feedback, actually iTunes reviews that were good reviews, but said, ah, it's a little, a little, uh, spiritual for me. That was a solid bedrock of Zig Ziglar. And it is of the show though. We try to be sensitive uh, to that. However, regardless of where you stand on faith, there are some of the best quotes of all time and direction in the Bible. This one uh, that we come to today, Jesus, whether you believe him as God or mere saint, said in Matthew 18, one through four, it says, I tell you the truth, unless you come, uh, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom and uh, of heaven. And what do children have? They have hope. And that's what we talk about today. They have, is it stupid hope? Well, Zig cites a quote in this message that you'll hear that says men and women, or it's a paraphrase, men and women are only limited by the size of of their hope. So we delve into the specific need that uh, for hope to have fruition, it, ne- it needs to have direction, personal direction. And where do you get that? Again, that's part of what we dive into in today's message. Hey, we have, before we get into it, we have great advertisers and sponsors that support the show. And from your testimonies, give you great products and services. I got a delivery today from a new company. Well, it's not a new company, but to us who wants to be a part of the show. So they sent me their product. I'm going to experience it uh, tonight. It's actually a food item and decide if it's something that I can endorse. Uh, But one of the reasons why advertisers love The Ziggler Show is because we do make it personal 
And they also know that the show has serious listeners. We have a survey I am asking you to take. We did one when we started this or restarted this show, I should say, about a year and a half ago. Um, But we want to do another one if you would help us. It's a survey that will just help us understand you more. If you'll go to podsurvey.com slash Ziggler. The survey only takes about five minutes. And I'll tell you folks, I get requests for surveys. I seldom do them. I don't feel like it's worth my time. I am asking you for that. It it ultimately will ask you questions about yourself and some of your buying habits and interests so that we can better find sponsors that are matched up to you, your interests and the show. We have definitely been approached by some uh, who are fine companies, but I said, you know what? It's just not the target audience. It doesn't fit our folks. Um, So I'll share the results in the upcoming show too, just so that you have a better understanding of who's listening to inspiration, who is listening to this type of content. Again, it's podsurvey.com slash Ziggler. We'd be incredibly grateful if you would take a moment and let us know a bit about who you are. Okay. Well, here then is Zig. This is his, uh, him in prime fashion, 11 minutes on stage. Listen in, and then we're going to break down some pieces. Inspiration is a hope builder. Of this, there's no question. I talked to a young man the other day named Charlie Wiedemeyer. Charlie Wiedemeyer is a very unusual man. He's a football coach, too. He led Las Gatos High School in California to its only state championship several years ago. 1976, Charlie Wiedemeyer was afflicted with Lou Gehrig's disease. I had the privilege of watching him at a practice session, and it was fully as exciting as any athletic event I have ever seen watching a practice session because Charlie had his eyes on everything, and he watched the offense and the defense. And when one of the assistant coaches would come over to him and say, Coach, here's what's happening. What do I do about it? He instantly would have an answer. A few minutes later, another assistant coach would run over and say, Coach, here's what's happening. What can I do about it? And he had an instant answer. And all the time... He was carrying on a full conversation with me, despite the fact that the only part of Charlie Wiedemeyer that can move are his eyes and his lips, and no sound comes from those lips. His wife Lucy was standing by reading the lips. He could hear what the coaches were saying, and he would give the instructions there. He led them to a state championship flat of his back. He's one of the most outstanding men or people I have ever met in my life. He was a disabled veteran of the year several years ago. President Bush was supposed to have appeared there and something happened and he couldn't. And Charlie said, oh, I was so disappointed. I was going to look at the president and say, Mr. President, read my lips. (laughs) He just got back from Holland and before he went over there, he said to his wife, now, honey, isn't... uh, Holland, where they have all that euthanasia? And she said, yes, it is. He said, you are going to bring me back, aren't you? (laughs) But you know, when you you think about what an incredible story that is, you, you know, he was a man who was Hawaii's athlete of the decade in the 1960s. Been flat of his back all of these years, and yet such an incredible attitude that he's got. You won't get any pity parties around him. In many ways, John Johnson is the epitome of hope. John Johnson was born 
in a shotgun house with a tin roof. Now, for you folks who don't know what a shotgun house is, maybe I better explain. A shotgun house simply means that you can open the front door and shoot a shotgun through it and not hit anything because it's just a shell. It was on a muddy street in uh, Arkansas City, Arkansas. Raised in a time when racial prejudice was at the extreme. In Arkansas City, they only had the eighth grade for African-American students. They were working to get to Chicago where they felt the opportunities would be greater. It took them over a year to raise the money with uh, John and his mother doing everything, a nickel here and a dime there. And they didn't quite make it. They had to stick around another year. And his mother kept him in the eighth grade another year. She did not want him to have the idle time. And though it was an embarrassment to him, she also didn't want him to become accustomed to taking menial jobs. Where is John Johnson today? He's one of the 400 wealthiest men in America. He's been a guest in the White House of every president since Eisenhower. He owns a number of companies. Uh, He publishes Ebony Magazine And he made this statement about hope, which is so beautiful. Men and women are limited, not by the place of their birth, not by the color of their skin, but by the size of their hope. Well, where did John Johnson get his hope? John Johnson got his hope from a remarkable woman uh, named Gertrude Johnson Williams, who was his mother. She was such a woman by means we can only imagine she completed third grade. She was then driven by poverty, by need, by want into the fields and kitchens of the Mississippi Valley. But she always lived in a valley on the other side of oppression. Her body was in the fields and kitchens, but her mind was in another sphere in the first class session. She was a short and forceful woman, not quite five feet tall, with the family bow legs, a big smile, and a will of steel. She walked straight up, her head held high, a woman of stature and quality. She had known pain and discouragement and fear. Out of all of this came a special kind of dignity, the dignity of a person who had seen a lot and survived and wasn't afraid of the future. What a marvelous role model she was. And you're thinking to yourself, boy, if John Johnson and his mother can accomplish what they accomplished. Look of all the advantages and opportunities that I have today. It's absolutely remarkable, folks, what, what is around us and what we need to take advantage of. Do these concepts work? Where do they work? Well, fortunately, they work everywhere. I love this little example. Angeline Breitenbach is in charge of the Sand Hill Youth Center in North Carolina. They started teaching these things there. They reduced the rate of recidivism from 40% down to 6%. See, I don't care where you are and what you're doing, unless you've had a neurological disorder of some kind. When you're given hope, direction, and encouragement, people respond to that. People deep down want the things that we're talking about right now. They want to get ahead. They want to do things. But some have never been given even any kind of opportunity. I'm thinking of Danny Levy. He was an immigrant from Iran. He lived in Toronto. He was kind of a party guy. I mean, he uh, had a little fun along the way. He had a minimum wage job. 
He went in one day at the office and uh, he saw a tape there, uh, something about sell your way to the top by a strange fellow named Zig Ziglar, and he thought it was a, uh, a rock singer and this was going to be rock music. And so he, he took the uh, cassette and he put it in his car, Automobile University again. Uh, and he couldn't, uh, his English uh, was not uh, real good and his Southern was even worse. And, and so uh, he, he, he didn't understand all the words, but along the way he caught just a glimpse of hope. So a lot of times that's all a person needs is just a glimpse to get them started. And the, the first step is the big step. He went to the library that weekend. He listened to that tape 20 times and he'd write down the words he didn't understand and he'd get the dictionary out and he would look them up. On Monday morning, uh, he went back in and he borrowed the rest of the tapes in the set from one of his buddies and he started listening over and over, back and forth and his whole work attitude changed. He started coming in early, looking for things to do. Got excited about the minimal wage job and pretty quickly they moved him up and up and up. And in three years' time, he became a partner in the firm. The youngest, fastest time it had happened. When hope enters the picture, then things happen in people's lives. If there is no hope, then it's safe to say there really is no future. Where is he today? Well, I got to tell you, three years after he listened to those tapes, he moved to L.A. after becoming a partner there. He started his textile import-export company, Today he has offices in L.A., Panama, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. When the imagination begins to soar, when we grasp opportunity, take advantage of what we got where we are, other doors open and they open wide. His income tax today is many times greater than his gross income was just a few years earlier. But let me emphasize a point. As you've already noticed, I'm not talking about just money. Suppose you go to the very top in your organization and lose your family in the process. Suppose you make millions of dollars but destroy your health. Suppose you become the manager but everybody there just hates the ground you walk on. Are you really successful? The answer is pretty obvious to most people. Can you really have it all? We had a young man back in 1983 who drove into Dallas in a Toyota with 150,000 miles on it. Wanted to go to work with us on a part-time basis while he attended Dallas Baptist University. We persuaded him that he would be better served to go ahead and get his education and then we'd see what offered. Well, he had to have some kind of work. So he went to work selling outdoor advertising. Larry Carpenter met a young woman the first day of school there and she worked for us a little bit later. And they became man and wife. For 18 consecutive years, Larry Carpenter has come through our three-day born-to-win seminar. He said, i got to get my tank filled up every year. What's the bottom line? They have three beautiful boys, a wonderfully healthy marriage, very much in love. Larry is a physical specimen. I mean, he's one of these exercise dudes, and he's worth many millions of dollars. Background, there was nothing to indicate it. And yet, when you set those goals, when that hope is born, when you persist day after day after day, 
Folks, the very persistence itself brings a lot of things to pass. But what is it everybody wants? What is this thing called balance? Well, I've already identified what everybody wants, but for that to happen, folks, you've got to deal with your personal life, your family life, and your business. And you've got to deal with the finances. Now, as I've already talked a little bit earlier about money, it's not the most important thing in life, but it is very important, especially if you don't have very much of it. But a young man, Gary O'Sullivan, who was here just a few minutes ago, took his last $12 and he too bought a copy of See You at the Top. Today, he's a very prosperous and successful man. He said the principles he learned there is what has made the difference. See, when you build on integrity, when you build a base, when difficulties hit you and you fall, you never fall into the basement because you've got a foundation that will stop you and you simply will not go there. Well, Zig leads right off the bat with a quote. He says, inspiration is a hope builder. And I think that's a significant quote. And I really, my experience is that inspiration actually births hope, builds it, yes, ongoing, but it, it's where it births. Uh, haven't you ever seen a movie or read a story or experienced something that significantly changed your paradigm and gave you a desire and a thought for, for something, which is a hope. It gave you a new hope for something. Uh, you know, Zig often says that encouragement fuels then that hope. So we have that hope. What fuels it? Encouragement. And ultimately, though, I'll tell you, it's, it's only a core motive that matters enough that turns that hope into anything. So again, we're looking at ingredients. It's so easy to throw some of the statements out, but to really look at, okay, what are the, even the sequences and the ingredients that go into making something matter? So that initial inspiration that fuels a hope that births a hope, uh, and then encouragement that helps grow that hope, but then ultimately we are looking at what is it that actually takes, has somebody take a hope, takes a desire and make something happen. And it is a core motive, a reason, a purpose that's big enough to make us do the hard work. Otherwise that hope just ends up being a nice dream. And I'll tell you, I mean, you could say it's semantic somewhat when you talk about those words, dreams, goals, desires, but as I've grown older, I, I don't really think in terms of having dreams anymore. I either have things I intend on pursuing and attempting to achieve, or I don't. Um, you know, I like bucket list concepts. I like that movie, uh, the, the movie, the bucket list. If you haven't seen that one, I recommend it, but I like that concept that it's not things I'd like to just, I'd like to see happen, but it's things that I really want to pursue and achieve. Um, and I trust I have these, these desires for an end purpose. And some of those may be very altruistic at face value. Uh, some may not, but you know, we're responsible for our own stewardship of our lives, time, money, and pursuits. But again, looking at those things that we desire, what are they? I think it's good to define those. Are they, are they, you know, hopes? Are they, are they dreams? Are they really an expectation? 
Do you have an expectation for these things to happen or are they just, oh, they'd be nice dreams if it happens. I've heard people say that. I'd be nice dream if it ever happened. Well, it won't happen. We will happen or not. And I, again, I see people who I think grow bitter or despondent or hopeless because they have some things, some desires, but again, they just shelf them there as dreams if they are to happen, as opposed to saying, you know what? No, that's one that I trust that I need to, I need to put action into doing. And again, that doesn't mean it's super altruistic. Um, it's one that you just have to uh, trust in and trust in your own Again, discernment and stewardship for your life on whether it is worthy or not. And that's a personal pursuit, but I think it's good to have things on the table. I like that term. Let's call a spade a spade. You know, are we going to do it or not? And, you know, I used to, I like ideas. I'm getting ready to go on a road trip to New Mexico to a children's home that we're a part of. And we're going to be on the road. I'm sure I'll have some good thinking time when I'm not talking with my wife and kids. And I'll come up with some idea and I often will share it just because it's kind of fun, but I'll also often say, hey, here's one of those uh, great ideas, I think, that I'm not, I have no intention of doing anything with, but it's fun to talk about. But to be real with it, I'm not going to do anything with it and be literal about that as opposed to here's the list of the ones that I believe I am supposed to put effort and action towards. Well, Zig cites a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase. I mentioned it right in the intro for the show. Men and women, and this is a piece of it, men and women are only limited by the size of their hope. That's just an interesting statement. I mean, the other day, my family was sitting around together. At some point, my seven-year-old daughter made a comment about how good she was at something. And you you kind of laugh a little bit when a kid says that, but she wasn't bragging. Or, or being uh, self-aggrandizing. She was just stating something that was true. I mean, the sky is blue, gravity exists no matter what, and she was commenting on an ability that was, in fact, uh, true. She was very good at this thing that she stated. I turn to my wife and I ask, you know, when do we, when do we lose that? Because right there at the table, I've got two older daughters who used to be the same way. Now they're 16 and 19, and though they know some areas that they excel at and that they would admit, yeah, I'm pretty good at that, they don't speak of it. And they're far more prone to downplay and even degrade themselves, which is is a negative aspect of speaking. That's not helping their progress. When is that age that we begin to negate, in, in essence, ourselves. I mean, sure, we mature and learn humility and not to come off as bragging, but does that mean we can't ever state a true ability and a strength? I know I'd rather have a heart surgeon uh, who admitted that he's exceptional. I mean, the one that says, oh gosh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm, I guess I'm okay at it. Well, you know what? I'll pass on having you do my heart surgery. I want the one that knows they are good and they will stand on and state that they are good. And I appreciated this in my daughter. I thought, you know, at true, tr- at a foundational level, I want her to continue understanding what she's good at. My little boy is six years old and has just really taken off with reading. He's excited. He's reading chapter books and I can't get him out of them now. And he'll say that I'm really good at reading. Well, he is for his age and uh, his age level. He's, he's excelling in reading. Well, I want him to stick on that. Maybe he has a a destiny that that's part of, and uh, I want him to stand on that. When do we get to that point where we won't state and stand on something that we were are good on? We won't make a claim. 
Well, back to that, uh, also the biblical quote that I shared at the beginning. The Jesus, again, whether you, whatever you believe of him, said in Matthew 18, 1 through 4, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and I want to hit on that piece of, of humility. But again, going back to this initial quote, men and women are only limited by the size of their hope. Just like my daughter, who my little seven-year-old daughter who said, uh, readily said, hey, I am good at that. She also has big hopes. She has great hopes. That is children. I think that's why God talks about children. And when do we get to the point of not making a stand and also lessening our hope, being realistic? It's an interesting concept to look at for ourselves. It's a question we have to answer for ourselves, but to look at and go, hmm, because it's cultural. It's not just us. It's cultural, right? But in this quote, in this scripture, in this verse where whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven brings up, of course, the question of what is humility? And I think we do it pretty poorly. Um, Well, back to Zig citing men and women are only limited by the size of their hope. Again, as kids, our hope is just unlimited. To some degree, we may think that's somewhat ludicrous as kids claim they want to be, you know, an astronauts or superheroes, or they hope it'll, you know, snow a blizzard a a million feet high, uh, or they, whatever they want to be. My kids, kids cases that my little ones, they have, uh, they want to be ninjas. You know, my four youngest kids just completed a week long America ninja warrior camp in Colorado Springs. Uh, but you know, why, what cause do I have to limit their hope and what they can do with that? Maybe they won't actually be literal ninjas, but maybe they'll earn, uh, learn some skills and abilities and strengths that they will use in other areas that have direct application. So why would I want to limit that? Why would I want to limit my own hope or yours? But my kids are young. Why isn't, uh, why isn't anything possible for them? You know, to that degree, I recently heard about an old schoolmate. His dad was a wealthy professional, a lawyer. My friend followed in his footsteps and today is a wealthy, successful lawyer. He wasn't smarter than anyone else. I grew up with the guy. He came from money, but there are plenty of successful lawyers who did not come from money. The main reason why he did something successful like he did, he just expected that he could. That was just his common reality. And that hit me kind of hard when I was thinking about that. How many of us excelled to the level that we expected we would? How many of us are living very similar lives as our parents for better and or worse? And how many of our kids will merely live up to the level of life they've experienced through us? Well, the answer is most. By far and large, it's, the answer is most. To me, that's pretty convicting. So, you know, back to hope and kids, when do they go from hoping in just about anything to reality to just, uh, uh, what is reasonable. And I use that word in quotes, they shelve hope and, and being, and become reasonable today. Then what about us? What is the size of our hope? And we can come up with so many reasons and excuses why we shouldn't have big hopes, why we can't, why it's not reasonable or responsible. And in our culture, we surely don't get a lot of hurrahs for taking risks unless you're on TV or a screen and then everybody in the crowd will, but will they take risks themselves? Uh, we have to make a choice and we have to live with it. And uh, it's, it's, it doesn't discount 
the statement, though, of how we view hope, discount Zig's statement, men and women are only limited by the size of their hope. This is a good time to push pause or stop this podcast even or come back to it and just ask ourselves, what is the size of my hope? Has it lessened? Why has it lessened? What are the excuses that I have made for lessening my hope? If I was really honest with myself, what hope would I like to have? And and even the reality then of, gosh, if I speak that or even think that, my anxiety level goes up, my pits start to sweat, whatever it may be. And I think, why is that? Where did we get to that point? And uh, I've often said that some of the most self-aware, intelligent, intellectual people are the quickest to discount themselves because they're smart enough to ask the question of, come on, who am I? Uh, and they often don't do the things that they should. And yet I see people sometimes who are too, uh, and forgive the, the, the terminology, but they're too ignorant to know that they shouldn't be able to do something and they just go do it. I have literally seen people like that do stuff and it's almost shamed me. And actually, I think it has. It has. I've looked at him and go, oh my gosh, I think this sounds arrogant, but uh, uh, bear with me. I, I look at him and think, I have more going for me. I have more going you know, financially, relationally. I have so I have wealth in, in areas, whether it's it's time or money or opportunity. And yet I'm sitting here and I haven't done whatever it is. And they went and did it. And it's, it's shaming. I think we can all look, we can all look at somebody who has less and is doing more. That sounds kind of negative and pessimistic, but to me, it's convicting. Like Kevin, get your stuff together. Come on. Uh, so men and women are only limited by the size of their hope. Good time to think about what is the size of your hope. You know what? I'm tempted to rename the show that what is the, I'm writing it down, size of your hope. I, uh, I might just do that, even though I, I, I labeled it initially something different. That's a better title. It's more true to what we're talking about here. Well, in the story, Zig cites uh, hope coming from someone with basically nothing, John Johnson's mother in the story. And it's interesting how many times the greatest hope comes from the least opportunity I think it produces hunger. It makes people hungrier. Those of us who are always fairly well-fed are often more inclined to maintain our regular feedings than hunger for something truly greater and worthier and epic. Um, I mean, if you're not aware of Zig Ziglar's story, I'll tell you, with all of his best-selling books, See You at the Top and and so many, my favorite book in truth is the autobiography of Zig Ziglar. It tells the story of his unique child and circumstances. And yeah, he came from hard things. And I think we're used to hearing those stories and it's very inspiring, but we don't take them into heart to say, oh my gosh, I do not have, I, I do I wish that I had those horrendous, tragic things happen to me? We have an interview coming up in the next few weeks uh, or, or posting in the next few weeks from somebody who had uh, some horrific th- uh, thing happen to him and how today he is grateful it happened because of what it helped propel him to do and achieve and where he's at now. And I think we don't take those to heart and go, oh my goodness, uh, these people came I think in a recent show we talked about that. So there was a Zig talked about that. There was a survey done of 300 top uh, CEOs. And how many of them came from very hard backgrounds and some specific things that happened to them. 
And again, all of us, we're almost have to look in and say, we're at a deficit because we maybe had it easier. We didn't have something starkly horrendous happen to us. We did not come from abject poverty. We didn't come from a handicap. We didn't come from a trauma and we tend to live more in kind of a vanilla mediocrity and don't go after something. I think it's because we are not hungry enough. And here's another story of Zig citing somebody who had every reason not to achieve. And yet she stood up and she was hungry and she went after something and it inspired her son, in this case, John Johnson, to go through, go, go achieve dramatic dramatic things. Um, but speaking of Zig's book, if you want to, if that's intriguing to you, you can go to Ziggler.com and you can get the autobiography of Zig. Next, Zig mentions the power when you are given number one, hope, number two, direction, number three, encouragement. And I want to hone in on that word direction. If hope in you is sparked And then if you find the encouragement that, of course, Zig says fuels your hope, how about direction? It's an interesting uh, word there, an interesting perspective. I mean, a favorite movie of mine is called The Count of Monte Cristo. It's with Jim Caviezel. If you haven't seen it, well, again, I, I own it. I recommend it. My kids pulled it out last night as I was crafting this show. So I'm sitting there trying not to pay too much attention as I am crafting the show. In the movie, the main character has the amazing fortune to find a guide. He's in prison and finds a guide, a teacher, and he's given direction. Many of the greatest and most epic movies have this same occurrence. A lost soul, uh, somebody on their own of hard times finds a blessed teacher and gets direction. I remember that from the, the, the Karate Kid when I was a kid. Uh, watching that. And it was very similar. The Matrix with Neo and Morpheus, another movie I own and I watch repeatedly is that story. And there's lots of others. In real life, however, this divine happening of a, an invested teacher, guide, and mentor seldom happens. And we never get that personal, face-to-face, individual direction. So where do we find it? Apprenticeships and passing down skills and trades has nearly disappeared. A lot of people have parents who did not take the time to teach them and train them and give them direction, uh, who, you know, again, did, did good things, put a roof over the head and food on the table and clothes on the back, but didn't take time or didn't have a skill that they could readily explain. I know there's a lot more people these days who their parents had a, a job at a factory, at a business or whatever, and couldn't really say, what do you do? And it was hard to explain. It wasn't as tangible as saying, you know what? I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I'm a, uh, I, I, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. And it wasn't as easy to do that. And so where do we find what we see is so powerful in these movies and in some of these stories? Uh, we often, of course, turn to books and podcasts, seminars, school, degrees, but folks, that's you know the, the road to the majority of the great success stories ultimately do not come from just those things. At some point, they come from a personal one-on-one understanding and invested person, a guide. So where do we get that? And today, I mean, you generally have to pay for it. I mean, some people are able to go out and ask and find somebody who will give them some mentorship and some guidance, but a lot of people pay for it, literally. And I don't say that to sell you on personal coaching and consulting. I've done a lot of that myself 
in, uh, in my time, but I haven't, I haven't done it. I haven't taken on a personal coach or consulting client in almost two years. I've had too many other business things happening. Now, Tom Ziegler does offer a significant coaching experience. If you go to Ziegler.com and then a light, there's a tab up at the top life changing programs, and it'll give you a drop down list. I think the third one or so says one-on-one coaching. Now it's very limited what he does, but uh, very powerful. Now there are other people you can seek out as well, but so whether, whether Tom or someone else, if you look at most of the top authors and experts, speakers and authorities, you'll find few, if any, who haven't at some point invested in personal coaching and consulting often at a pricely cost. I mean, they made a big step, a big investment. Uh, they did what few people do. Now I'll tell you for myself, my most recent great benefit in this realm was about uh, almost two years ago now, I hired a counselor to help me discern why I continued to live out some certain pattern, negative patterns and, and frustrations that I had. It wasn't super deep clinical therapy. He just asked me some great questions and helped open me up to some great revelations. It was incredibly uh, powerful. About six months before that, I had hired someone else to help me help take me through a life plan to get another look at me. It was a time period for me of realizing as much as I am prone to look forward and not really care what's happened in the past. I just want to look at my goals and go forward. And it was the first time I finally realized, you know, I'm dragging, hampering myself, handicapping myself, hamstringing myself because of some things in my past that I had no care to pay attention to. It wasn't huge traumas, folks. It wasn't anything that's going to be a great story, but they were some things I had to look at and go, my gosh, yes, there it is. And in, in, on a graph, I'm doing, I'm doing up and down, up and down success and failure over and over and had some help to help me discern why I'm doing that. And it was, uh, it was incredibly revelatory, incredible. And it didn't mean it was healed right away, but it wasn't, uh, again, super deep, but I just didn't recognize it. We do die from a lack of knowledge and understanding. So that's somewhere where I paid, I invested time and money and effort and difficulty to get guidance and direction. And it was, it was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Well, Zig goes on here and, and says, where there is no hope, there is no future. Where there is no hope, there is no future. And we see two big dichotomies of people, a smaller percentage of people who have so much hope and their future is so bright. And yet we see a, a, an ever widening gulf and a majority where they don't have a big hope and they become spectators in life. And it's hard to see a great future and they're just existing. That is not you. That's why you're here in this show, taking this time right now, because you are expanding your hope. You're expanding your future. You want more for yourself. You want more out of yourself. You want more for others. And that's why you're drawn to Zig and this message of top performance. But that's a big one. Where there's, where there's no hope, there is no future. We all want a future. So we have to be just kindling those fires of hope. Well, Zig ends giving testimonials to people who read his book or listened to his audio, See You at the Top. He literally talks about it. And they went on to dramatic success stories, which is interesting because a little bit brings us back to where we began with this show, me talking about my little girl and her statement of something she was good at. Here's Zig. So is he a braggart? Is he a narcissist? 
Or is he just like my young daughter, just telling the truth of a God-given ability? He went through so much work and trial and failure, and he kept persevering. He kept learning. He was such an incredible, incredible example of a student. He worked really hard. And he crafted a dramatic message from his journey and it has helped people. And he wrote these things down and he, and he presented them. He spoke them on stage and people came back and said, oh my gosh, I did what you talked about. I did what you experienced. Thank you for sharing your story. And I got to relate it to my life. I got to put those principles into my life and oh my gosh, look what happened. And so back to one of his quotes that I love as much or more than any, that if you have a product or a service, that's where the quote says, but we'll add on here. If you have a message, if you have said something you've figured out that helped you and you know can help others, it is your moral obligation to sell it is what he says, but to share it. Okay. Just to share it. If you don't want to sell it, uh, share it, please. You can help people. And I think so often we keep silent because we don't want to come off as, as arrogant or thinking we have something that somebody else doesn't, but of course you have something that somebody else does not. We die from a lack of knowledge and the dramatic amount of you out there know certain skills and abilities and truths that I don't know. And I'm suffering from, and I need to hear it from you. Others need to hear it from you. Do you have any skills, ability, or knowledge that could help another? Should you stay safe and stay quiet and deny people your value or offer it, admitting you have value to give? And we know from a marketplace, if you do that, if you give something to others that benefits them, it will benefit you, which leaves us with Zig's most famous quote, his foundational, help enough other people get what they want and you'll get all that you want, all that life has to offer all that you believe you should have. Well, hey, folks, thank you for the time to walk through this together. It's a gift to go through these messages and talk through them. If you've got questions or comments on these, you're welcome to go to ask.zigshow.com and submit those. We've got a Q&A show coming up of submissions you have given us. Uh, so thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be with you, inspiring our true performance. That's what we're about. It's the True Performance Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Thank you. Thank you.